0: In Colossians. And I've invited you to read uh, that beautiful book, four chapters each uh, week. And uh, this is our third week in chapter one because chapter one is so rich and it has so much to speak to us as God's people. Um, So earlier when I made my comments, uh, it got very quiet in here. So I just want to remind you of something. The Bible says that you're supposed to love your pastor. (laughs) You don't always have to agree with them. You just have to love them. Okay. And besides, you know, I'm a short-termer, so you're not going to see me forever. But uh, thank, you for your, thank you for your heart. So let me uh, begin just by inviting you to uh, be receptive to the good news. Uh, just extend your hands. Even uh, Jeanette can do this. Um, extend your hands before the Lord as a sign of receptivity to the Word of God. And Father, we now invite you um, into this Word. We thank you, Father, that... Um, by your Holy Spirit, this word has been inspired and has been the best-selling book for over 100 years every single year. And we thank you that this word still speaks to us and still speaks to us as truth. So, Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would move upon this congregation and among all who are listening to these words that the word of God might be go forward and transform lives. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So a truck driver was hauling a load of 500 penguins to the zoo. His truck broke down. He eventually waved down another truck, and he said that he would pay the driver $500 if he would deliver those 500 penguins to the zoo. The second driver accepted. The next day, the first truck driver got his truck fixed and drove into town and couldn't believe his eyes just ahead of him, he saw the second truck driver crossing the road with 500 penguins waddling single file behind him. He jumped out of his truck, ran up to the guy, said, what are you doing? I gave you $500 to take these penguins to the zoo. To which the man responded, I, didn't, I did take them to the zoo, but I had enough money left over, so now we're going to the movies. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever had misunderstandings like that. Don't we have misunderstandings like that every single day? Especially those of us who are married, right? I mean, it's perfectly clear to you what you're saying and meaning, but the message just doesn't get across. Well, I'm sure this is what happened to Paul. Paul's message was simple and profound. Jesus plus nothing equals nothing. Everything, right? And if you are a math person, you can say this equation a different way. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But the Colossians kept on saying, yeah, that that sounds right, but it just can't be that simple. Jesus is good. We love Jesus because he's gonna forgive us of our sins and that's cool. You know, we get a, our ticket punch, we get a barcode, we get to go to heaven. Okay, that's all good. I, I like that. But they're saying it's gotta be more than that. So how about this? How about Jesus plus circumcision, right? Christianity plus Judaism, let's put them together. Or how about Jesus plus angels? Angels are really cool and there's a lot of angel worship in Jesus' day. Or how about Jesus plus Moses? I mean, Moses was right, our number one guy until Jesus came along, right? or Jesus plus good works, or Jesus plus politics, or Jesus plus my job or my relationship. And Paul said, no. No, your Jesus is too small. He's bigger than creation, right? We saw that last week because he created it. In Psalm 33, 6, he merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. Isn't that beautiful? He created everything. He's bigger than your pain. He's bigger than your circumstances. He's bigger than your life when it seems to be spinning out of control. He's bigger than all of this. And he says, Not only am I bigger than this, I will sustain all of this. And one day, Jesus declares, and he says it in Revelation 22. One day, I will make all things brand new. The heavens and the earth, all things will be made new. So Paul is saying, listen, not only is he bigger than creation, he is bigger than the new creation. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the body of Christ. That's all believers throughout the world, maybe two billion of them. He is bigger than the new creation, the church. And he said, listen, You need to understand this too. Not only am I bigger than the new creation, which is you, each and every one of you and those of you who are listening, I'm bigger than your sin. I'm bigger than your sin. And I am able to reconcile you. Last week we talked about this word reconcile and I used the example of Alex Smith's calf that was completely torn up in a football game three years ago. And now he's playing football again because the doctor said his leg was what? Anybody remember? Reconciled. His leg was reconciled. It was put back together stronger than it was before. And that's what God has promised to you and to me. I will reconcile you. I am big enough to redeem you. I am big enough to hold on to you. I am big enough to save you, to rescue you. How does that feel? Let that seep into your soul. Let that percolate in your life. So today, I want to posit a contrast. Two ideas from the next portion of Scripture in Colossians 1. And those two things that I want you to understand are big sin and big grace. Now, this first part of the message is about big sin. Some of you are going to be very, very much wanting to get up and go to the bathroom and not come back, okay? So I'm going to ask the ushers to lock the doors. No, we're not going to do that, no. But listen, hang with me. You need to understand the bigness of your sin to fully understand the bigness of God's grace. So we looked at the Song of Supremacy that Paul wrote. It was a hymn, beautiful writing, and we read that last week, but I want to read you now the next two verses in that text, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. This is at the end of the Song of Supremacy. And this is what Paul says, writing to these uh, wonderful people at Colossae. He said, this includes you, and he's talking about Grace Community Church too, and all other churches, right? This includes you who were once far away from God. Does that relate to you? It relates to me. I was once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Well, that's not very nice, Paul. Come on. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you, and that means you and you and you and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. How does that feel? All right? This morning, I asked Sherry, when I was going over my notes, I asked Sherry, I said, Do you, did you know that you're holy and blameless? And she said, I kind of know that, but I don't feel it. Right? That's what some of you, but listen, this isn't about how you feel. This is about what we talked about earlier, the truth of who you are. If you are in Christ, you stand before God holy and blameless. That's who you are. Colossians 1:21 and 22. Now the reason this good news is so vast and so wonderful is that the bad news is so huge and so horrible. The gospel is big, very big, enormous because our sin is big. Very big, enormous. We all have an enormous capacity to sin. Now, you may say, well, I don't really believe that, but tonight at 10.30 when you're laying in bed all by yourself, you're gonna say, you know what, that's really true (laughs) because I have an enormous capacity to sin. Big sin, big grace. So let me give you a couple of brief examples. So when I was 11 years old, uh, uh, some older boys some junior high boys and when you're 11 junior high boys are really cool right because I was in the 6th grade uh, they invited me to their uh, tree house that they had built and I felt privileged so I went and that's where you, know, you learn all important things from you know, junior high boys I learned how to smoke, for instance, you know. I'd, and so the first time I'd ever tried a cigarette, you know, they gave me a cigarette, I said light that, so I'm trying to light it like, no, no, you got to actually suck on it to, you know, okay. So I smoked a cigarette. I hated it, but I, of course I said it was awesome, and I said, boy, I really feel really grown up, and, but I hated it, but I had this smell in my face and my mouth, and it was awful, and so how do I get rid of the smell so my parents don't know? And they said, well, you chew on eucalyptus leaves. And in Crest where I lived in, in uh, rural San Diego, there was eucalyptus trees everywhere, right? So on the way home, it was about a 20-minute walk. I chewed on eucalyptus leaves the entire time. And I was getting sick to my stomach from chewing on eucalyptus leaves. I come into the house, my dad's sitting in his chair, I walk by and say, Hi, Dad, go right to the bathroom and start washing, you know, washing my mouth and everything like that. My dad, Dwayne, come out of there. Have you been smoking? Yes, sir, did you smell the smoke? No, I smelled the eucalyptus. <laughs> My dad wasn't a rookie. You know, he knows, and, 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 but that's who, and here's the deal. You say, that's a small thing. You know, that's, that's a small sin, that's a little sin. No, it was about, it, sin is always about deception. Sin is always about hiding. Adam and Eve hid from God. <laughs> that was foolish, right? I was hiding from God. I was hiding from, that's the problem, that sin alienates us from each other and from God. That's what sin does. Now, fast forward 37 years. Here I am in a hot tub in Colorado in 1997 with my wife after I confessed about my gambling addiction. She and I were the only ones in this. It was a beautiful evening, September 1997, this hot tub. We were the only ones in the hot tub. And I was filling the hot tub with my tears. And Sherry extended this amazing grace to me that I didn't deserve. And she extended this grace to me in a way that I felt it was from God. (laughs) And it was really the beginning of my healing in that time. And so what I realized in both of those incidents is one seems very simple and childlike. You've all experienced those things. But the other was enormous. And it was, at that time, I felt like I had ruined my career. I would no longer ever be a pastor again. I felt like my life was over, that maybe my marriage was over, maybe my kids would hate me. I felt all of that. I felt the enormity of my sin. Both of those instances are about alienation, about blocking ourselves from someone else. In my case, my wife, my church, my children. When I was younger, from my parents, didn't want them to know I was smoking. Alienation and alienating us from God. In this passage, Paul comes through clearly with the bad news as well as the good news. In the bad news, he uses really bad language. You once were alienated and hostile in mind. You ever think of yourself as hostile in mind towards God? But that's what this text says you were. Doing evil deeds, 121. We want to say, hey, Paul, man, back off, dude. What are you doing I'm not as bad as my neighbor who throws the leaves over the fence. I'm not as bad as these radical right-wingers storming the Capitol building. I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as Ted Bundy. Come on, man, back off. And what Paul is saying, no, it's not about those specific acts of sin. It's about a heart that is alienated from God. It's about a heart that has made God the enemy. You say, well, where does that come from? The Bible tells us, and this is going to be really weird for some of you that haven't been raised around the Bible and raised around church, that we are born into sin and we are dead in our original sin, the Adamic nature, that nature that we had because of what Adam did, right? We come into this world as an enemy of God. In Romans 5.8, but God commends his love toward us in that, listen, while we were yet sinners, while we we're in the midst of sinning, while we we're in the midst of addictive gambling or having an affair or smoking a cigarette or anything else, while we we're in the middle of that, Christ died for our sins. He didn't wait until we were cleaned up because we can never clean ourselves up. He didn't wait until we were better because we're going to never be better. He said, listen, I commended my love toward you in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. We come into the world as an enemy of God. Not even one. Of, not even the cutest baby. And I even hate to say this, not even the cutest baby is without fault. I mean, it starts that we're not morally neutral when we are born. We are not disposed towards God. We are disposed towards selfishness and I ness. I mean. We say what's the first word a baby says? It's usually not mama because that's hard for them to say. It's usually data. But what is the word that a toddler clings onto for the rest of their lives? Mine. <laughs> Two things. Mine and no. Okay? They know. How, so there's that 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 original sinful nature says, I want things the way I want things, and nobody's gonna tell me otherwise. Listen to what Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Man, that's strong language. All of us used to be that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of what? Our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. We are born to bend a knee towards self. And it's only through the redeeming power of the gospel of a loving heavenly father that we can begin to bend a knee towards him. That's what Jeanette was talking about today in that song that we surrender. It's literally choosing to bend a knee to the Savior instead of bending a knee to our own wishes. You might say, well, I'm not really hostile towards God. I'm just indifferent. Well, that's not going to work, folks. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, this is when Jesus was talking to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and he was talking to the church at Laodicea, he said, he said, I've got one thing against you, one thing that, a problem that you are having, and here's the problem. You're neither hot nor cold. Choose a side. Figure out whose side you're on. I mean, I love hot tea, and I love iced tea, but I hate what's in the middle. And Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And he said, because you're lukewarm, this is what Jesus said. I want to spit you out of my mouth. It's so distasteful that you just simply cannot pick a side. How many evangelical Christians are trying to be right in the middle? Right in the middle. Jesus said, if you are indifferent to me, you are hostile toward me. If you are, in indif- gentlemen, men in here that are married, if you are indifferent in your marriage, you are hostile to your marriage. Because when you made a vow before the altar, you said, I'm gonna give my all to my bride, I'm gonna give my all to my husband, and I am going to give my all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Indifference is hostility. Indifference is a divided heart. Indifference is idolatry. It's something else that fills the place of supremacy in our lives other than Jesus. John Piper said these words, idolatry is a suicidal exchange of infinite value and beauty for some fleeting inferior substitute. We are hostile to God in our minds, constantly at cross purposes him, And one of the ways that we are mostly at cross purposes to Jesus is the way that we view people that are different than us. A different color of skin. A different political uh, pathway. A different socioeconomic thing. A different way of living. A different lifestyle. Jesus said, I love all of these people. I don't love all of their actions, but I love all of these people. In in the Sermon on the Mount... um, Jesus is talking about loving each other. And he said, some of you uh, find somebody that you don't like and you say to them, raka, R-A-C-A. Okay, it was an Aramaic word that meant (laughs) empty-headed. It's what you say when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, by the way. You say different words, but you're saying raka, right? And Jesus said, see, when when you see people as the enemy, was well, you see people that are different, even when they have bad behavior, geez, that's not the way you are living in me because I love all people. Again, I don't love all of their actions, but I love all people, and I will do everything in my power to love them to love me. And God has called us to love them until they ask why. Our enemies especially. Those are different than us especially. Those, in 9-11, those Muslims, we all said all the Muslims are bad. No, no, those Muslims were bad. Frontiers is one of the greatest missionary organizations around. And Frontiers, if you know of their ministry, uh, they have a ministry uh, to love Muslims to Jesus. That's it. No other, no other agenda, no political agenda, just to love Muslims to Jesus. That's what we are called to do. So often we hate. We see that, we set out the capital. We saw that in what happened months ago. We saw all this hate in our world. There's, I mean, who was hated the most after Jesus was crucified? The Jews. The Jews. Today, there are people that still hate the Jews because they say the Jews killed Jesus. Let me be very honest with you this morning the Jews didn't kill Jesus, you did. Your sins did. They were piled on him. You killed Jesus, not the Jews. And we always find somebody else to say, oh, you're the problem. No, we're the problem. My sin is the problem, and my sin is my sin. It's evil. The same word used to describe Satan and demons. We're a lot worse off than we think we are. Our sin is big. Our sin is enormous. We are enemies of God. We, it's where death reigned because of our rebellion. We are bent towards self and towards sin. Tulian Chevichian said it this way. Generation after generation, the sin is ceaseless. The death all-encompassing. The condemnation comprehensive. And you say to yourselves, I should have gone to the bathroom. <laughs> I should have left early." Martin Luther, Martin Luther who discovered grace in one verse, and that verse was, my grace, my grace, my grace. Martin Luther also understood in many ways that uh, the only way to heaven was by good works until he discovered the grace of God. That's exactly what he believed. Martin Luther crawled for over a mile on cobblestone streets on his hands and knees, crawled up to the altar at the Wittenberg Cathedral and went there to confess his sins. And he said, as soon as I got there, I looked around and recognized that other people weren't there and they should have been because they were just as bad as me. And when I thought that thought, I realized my sin is still my sin. And he did it over again. Now you say, well, that's ridiculous. He didn't really understand the grace of God. I don't think it was ridiculous. I think what he understood is how big his sin was, how great his sin was, how all-consuming his sin was. We had a friend in uh, our church in uh, at Hope Covenant. Her name was Heidi, and she had a dad who was diagnosed with very aggressive cancer and uh, was told that... Uh, you know, there were some pathways he could take to, uh, towards get some more time, maybe two, three years. And, uh, and the, of course, the wife and the kids all said, Dad, you got to do this. He said, no, no, I'm fine. What do you mean you're fine? I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm good. I'm good. But, Dad, you need to take these steps towards uh, to get some more time so you be with your family, your kids, your grandkids. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, three months later, he wasn't fine. He died, Right? took no steps to try and extend his life. He, he's just dead. And I can't believe how many Christians in our world today are the same way. Well, I'm fine. Yeah, my, my sins, I, that took, Jesus took care of that. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. And the Bible's very clear that you and I are not fine. So sin is big. All men have experienced that. All women have experienced that. And We say, okay, 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 I get it, Paul. My sin is really big, but now what do I do? I want you to listen very carefully to these words in Romans 5, 15 to 17. This is the antidote to the bigness of your sin. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, Brought death to many. That's original sin that we talked about earlier. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one, that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in the triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Our sin is great, absolutely, but God's grace is greater. In that passage, you hear a couple of phrases, even greater, and much more. Even greater is what Jesus did for you and for me. Yes, we killed Jesus with our sins. We did. But he was raised from the dead and took power over death, over the grave, and over our sin. So the even greater, and the other phrase that you heard over and over again in that Romans 5 passage is much more. The much moreness of God's grace than our sin the far greater than God's love than our sin. The worst possible news is that we're enemies with God, alienated, now contrasted to the very best possible news. And the distance between us and God is vast. Like we said last week, between Dives and Lazarus, the chasm was so great that it could not be breached, but here's the good news. Jesus breached that chasm for you for me that's how great God's grace is so how do you describe that well I'm not sure but one of my favorite movies of all times is back to the future 1985 some of you weren't born then but uh, you've seen the movie Uh, back to the future and in that movie they went back from 1985 to what year 1955 right I was just seven years old at that time. 1955 and all of that. But how do they get now back to 1985? Doc Brown and Marty kind of worked all this out. Well, uh, Doc Brown says the only way we can get back there in this DeLorean, which is, by the way, a very cool car back in the day. This DeLorean is uh, this amazing thing that I created called the what? Yes, flux capacitor. And he said the only way that that's going to work is... 1.3 1.3 gigawatts. Now, nobody knows what a gigawatt is, but it's a great word, right? And so they figured it out. They got the lightning on the clock tower and all that. And that, that, those gigawatts sent them up, you know, back 30 years. What Jesus did for you and for me is much greater than 1.3 gigawatts. It is so amazing and so far-reaching. God's grace is for you and for me. In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, again, we read, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. His reach is great enough to create all things and his reach is great enough to pardon you from your sins. The song that we sang just a few weeks ago, Christmas time, Joy to the World. One of the verses, we read these words. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That curse of the original sin, that curse that you and I find ourselves in, he comes to make his blessings flow to simply overwhelm the curse of sin. The gospel, the love of Jesus, is big enough. His redemption flows as far as the curse is found. Once we were hostile, now we are holy, chosen, beloved. In the Old Testament, God was always hidden from man because of their sin. So in a burning bush, a pillar, at the, a pillar of fire by night, a rain cloud by day, always God's kind of hiding, but in the New Testament, we see Jesus step out of the darkness into the light as a resurrected Christ, and we can boldly stand before him because everything overcomes nothing. Big grace overwhelms sin. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. C.S. Lewis came up with this phrase, the wonderful exchange. Most of you know that. And what it looks like is this, that all of your sin and all of your brokenness, which is huge and ginormous and gigantic and All of this is what killed Jesus, all of your sin. This is all over here. And over here on this side is the righteousness of Jesus, his beauty and grace, his love, his forgiveness, his eternal life, all of this is over here. And the wonderful exchange is simply this. Jesus said, I will take all of your sin and I will give you all of my righteousness. Is that fair? Of course not. (laughs) It's not fair in the least, but it's what God did for us. Henry Nouwen, one of the greatest uh, modern Christian authors, at his ordination, uh, a fellow priest, uh, Jean Venier, founder of the large communities, prayed this prayer over Henry Nouwen at his ordination. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness, that you may experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child, and sing and dance in the love of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I have some bad news. We are failures. We're epic failures. Yet I have some good news. No, some great news. That we are epic failures who are radically loved by God whose everythingness overwhelms our nothingness, whose bigness overcomes our sin. Big sin, absolutely. Bigger grace. Thanks be to God. I'd like to ask you before we pray if you would stand. And at home, I know I feel kind of weird in your pajamas, but go ahead and stand with us as well. I want you to be standing when you uh, hear these last words that I'm going to read from the Apostle Paul. And I want you to hear these words as if they were written specifically for you as if they came directly from Jesus' lips himself, these words are God's words for you. Yet now he, Jesus, has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless, as you stand before him without a single fault. Let's pray. Father, when we stand before you, we don't feel like we're holy and blameless. But our feelings really are not relevant when it comes to the truth of your word. And that is simply this. If we have said yes to Jesus, if we have said yes to our Heavenly Father, if we have said, I embrace you, I love you, I believe in you, I trust you, then we stand here before you, God, blameless, shameless, holy, chosen, redeemed, reconciled, saved, blessed, graced, and loved. That's who we are. Lord, we confess that our sin is just outrageous and we confess that our sins are enormous, but thanks be to God, they have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Past, present, and future, our sins have been forgiven and we have been redeemed. Father, we need to live in this truth. We need to live in this truth in these difficult political times. We need to live in this truth with our brothers and sisters who have a different color skin. We need to live in this truth with all people, especially our enemies, because we are redeemed and we are going to love people the way that you have loved us unconditionally when we didn't deserve it. So Father, grant us that joy of loving others in that way. Thank you, Father, for this truth. And thank you for what you have called us to do. But more importantly, thank you for what you have called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, Amen. amen."